Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm Pastor H.A. Espinosa. We're reading the entire Bible together, chapter by chapter, reading it out loud, and we're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 23. We have already had this theme set up. We just had that yesterday, how we have this picture, really, of Christ, of how David risks his life and puts himself in the line of fire uh, for the sake of, well, really, I mean, every everyone around him and God, God's people, but particularly the people who are in distress. And you see that in a big way here, because he risks a confrontation with Saul so that he would save uh, this city from the Philistines. So uh, just another really cool story. It's, you know, one like where there's a lot of uh, battle and movement and all this, uh, but a lot of little pieces and details here, inquiring of the Lord, seeking God's will in all of this, uh, a lot of neat contrast, so a lot to talk about today. Today, we are joined by our guest, Pastor Curtis Deerding, pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. Good morning, brother. How are you and the saints in Fort Myers doing? We're doing just fine. Uh, everything is, uh, everything's been going very smoothly. Uh, we... Uh, are getting in, into the process of uh, hopefully opening up our church for in-person uh, worship. We have not done that yet, so this will be new for us after all these months, and uh, we'll see how that goes. Well, okay, yeah. Uh, well, peace and blessings. I mean, that's. Uh, I mean, it's a great. That's a great thing to be able to have that opportunity, and uh, I, I know that I'm sure there's a lot of preparation that's that's gone into that, and. Uh, probably a little bit of nervousness, excitement with that, but I hope it goes well. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because, you know, the excitement's about halfway because you're like, there's so many guidelines and and so forth that we're going to be following going into the worship that, you know, um, it's not going to look the same. You know, we're not going to be able to to rejoice the way we'd like to whenever we come back into into the Lord's presence together there around word and sacrament. So, but, you know, uh, we're going to take our time, be cautious, and uh, continue to uh, show love to neighbor and, and do what we can to uh, make a safe environment so that we can enjoy gathering together once again to give thanks to God for all his gifts. Well, and I think that uh, this this theme that you that you raise here, this idea of, well, you know, okay, there's there's uh, there's risks and you need to mitigate things, you need to take precautions, right? But you know, there are there are certain risks that are worth taking for the sake of God's people. I mean, that's that is what we're talking about in and uh, not Psalm twenty three, First Samuel twenty three. Though I, I really am reminded of a number of psalms here, um, and, and in fact, there might even be one that refers to this. Um, and we may, maybe we'll talk about that. But I mean, it's just fascinating to me how it's just such a very clear picture of how David. I mean, he he really just puts himself on Saul's radar, and he could have just, you know, been been hiding out and kept being stealthy. But uh, he puts himself in a very difficult situation between a rock and a hard place, kind of kind of literally here. Um, but I mean, yeah, between the Philistines and Saul. Yeah, and I, and I think that you know, people who truly want to follow God's will and to be faithful to the tasks that God gives. Uh, is definitely revealed here in this story because we look at it as as just David taking the risk, but you've got to also remember that God is there with him, uh, guiding him and uh, giving him direction on what to do, and that he 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 promises David that he will be with him, and that makes a big difference too, 
in our uh, in our boldness and in our courage when we know that the Lord is with us. Absolutely. I mean, it's uh, we might not be fighting against the Philistines, but well, I mean, sometimes actually you might describe it that way, right? <laughs> but, right. Depends but, uh, on what it is the, in the, life, you know. That's right. The, the idiom, the idiom of uh, the, the, you know the Philistines. That's a, it's another thing. But uh, well, brother, let's go ahead and turn to the chapter. And as we do, would you uh, start us off with a prayer? Absolutely. Almighty God, and we call you mighty because it is by your might that we can uh, go into each day knowing that you are with us to watch over us, to protect us, to give us strength to face whatever fears there may be. We know that as we continue to read about David and the fears that he had of those around him and uh, and those around him who were also fearful of others uh, that could threaten their lives, their very lives, uh, we know that there are all kinds of threats in our own life that uh, attack us and, and, and come up against us Uh, almost daily in some cases. We pray that you would be with all of those who are suffering at the hand of sickness, at the hand of abuse, at the hand of violence, and and we pray that you would be with them and and give them uh, hope, hope for better days ahead, relying on you and your will, that uh, you can continue to, to, to shower your gifts of peace, of hope, of comfort upon those who seek it just as David sought your help and your strength in his time of need. Bless us now as we continue our study that we might truly know that will that you have for us in our lives as we continue to seek to follow you. We thank you and praise you for where we have not done that and, and give you thanks for the forgiveness and mercy you showed to us in your son, Jesus Christ, in whose name we ask for your blessing upon our time together this day. Amen. Amen. All right, so reminding us a little bit um, of some of the characters here. So we've got, uh, you know, we, so obviously we've got, we've got David. The Philistines have kind of been in the background for a little bit. Um, I mean, mm-hmm. we had that encounter with David uh, two chapters ago, or I mean, rather, uh, it was in the, the first half of the previous chapter where he, he goes to Gath just very briefly. It's well, at least in the right. span of the narrative. Um, but we haven't had like necessarily the, the fighting with the Philistines for a little bit. Uh, we we have this this really eclectic bunch. Um, the people who are down and out. The people who uh, it says you know are, are bitter in soul. Uh, who are there with David? So he's got uh, you know some people with him. It's it's not a large number. I think the number four hundred was given there. So, uh, so th- those are kind of like a little bit of the situation here. Um, it's not like he's totally off of everybody's radar. Word has spread about um, his his location that he is on the move. That he's got a crowd with him, and he has particularly also this one uh, this one prophet. We're told back in uh, the previous chapter, it was Gad, the prophet, who seems to be tagging along with him. And uh, more than that, he has the last survivor of, of Nob, well, not necessarily the last survivor, but anyway, the, the only priest, it would seem, that survived from Nob um, in uh, Abiathar, uh, who seems to be kind of the last remnant of Eli's house. So that's kind of the situation. Anything else we need to be thinking about in the context um, or just anything that would be good to uh, kind of review or have in mind when we give this a read-through? 
You know, the the chapter before mentioned a number of people, and so you know, just trying to keep them all all straight, you know, and trying to to go over each and every one of them is is really not going to be worth our time right now because yeah. uh, what we do need to know is that you know a number of the priests were killed, and that uh, that was huge. That was a, a big step um, where um, his group, Saul's group, were not willing. Uh, to kill them, but and I, I'm not sure how you've been pronouncing it, Doeg or Doug. Um, uh, the Edomite, Doeg, yeah. Doeg. So Doeg is, has been. Um, uh, he he stepped up to the plate and uh, and followed Saul's command. So um, to turn and kill all the priests of the Lord, I mean that's <laughs> that's huge. Um, and of course, yeah. uh, it's all being blamed on David. And so David's got a lot on him all the way around. No, that's right. And uh, well, and and you might also think, I mean, it's an interesting connection to kind of draw out. You know, it, it seems like he sort of blames himself or, I, I mean, I guess that might be reading too much into it, but it might, it might be the case that he blames himself for what happened to Nob. And so you wonder if on a certain level he's, when he hears about uh, here in this chapter, we've got uh, Kiat. Kiila, uh, when he hears about Kiila being uh, attacked by the Philistines, if he's saying to himself, there's no way I'm going to let another city go down on my watch. And, uh, well, I mean, you know, he, he does inquire of the Lord, but you wonder how much that might kind of play into the, the emotion of this moment. Well, yeah, and, and not, not only that, but those that are with him, you know, they were saying, you know, we already— yeah. Uh, have enough trouble with the Philistines just staying at home and trying to, to, to uh, you know, yeah. guard ourselves, let alone go off into another place altogether where we have no refuge, uh, no promise of refuge, you know, against the Philistines. Let's go fight our enemies somewhere else, you know. That, right. that, that was a lot on those people that um, David was praying would be uh, faithful to him and, and to the task that the Lord was giving them. Uh, certainly. Let's go ahead and give a read-through then. 1 Samuel chapter 23, from the top here in the English Standard Version. Now they told David, Behold, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are robbing the threshing floors. Therefore David inquired of the Lord, Shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord said to David, Go and attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But David's men said to him, Behold, we are afraid here in Judah. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the armies of the Philistines? Then David inquired of the Lord again, and the Lord answered him, Arise, go down to Keilah, for I will give the Philistines into your hand. And David and his men went to Keilah and fought with the Philistines and brought away their livestock and struck them with a great blow. So David saved the inhabitants of Keilah. When Abiathar the son of Ahimelech had fled to David with Ke- fled to David to Keilah, he had come down with an ephod in his hand. Now it was told Saul that David had come to Keilah, and Saul said, "God has given him into my hand, for he has shut himself in by entering a town that has gates and bars." And Saul summoned all the people to war to go down to Keilah and besiege David and his men. David knew that Saul was plotting harm against him, and he said to Abiathar the priest, Bring the ephod here. Then David said, O Lord, the God of Israel, your servant 
has surely heard that Saul seeks to come to Keilah to destroy the city on my account. Will the men of Keilah surrender me into his hand? Will Saul come down as your servant has heard? O Lord, the God of Israel, please tell your servant. And the Lord said, He will come down. Then David said, Will the men of Keilah surrender me and my men into the hand of Saul? And the Lord said, They will surrender you. Then David and his men, who were about six hundred, arose and departed from Keilah, and they went wherever they could go. When Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he gave up the expedition, and David remained in the strongholds in the wilderness, in the hill country of the wilderness of Ziph. And Saul sought him every day, but God did not give him into his hand. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish, and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear. For the hand of Saul, my father, shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I shall be next to you. Saul, my father, also knows this. And the two of them made a covenant before the Lord. David remained at Horesh, and Jonathan went home. Then the Ziphites went up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is not David hiding among us in the strongholds at Horesh, on the hill of Hakilah, which is south of Jeshimon? Now come down, O king according to all your heart's desire to come down, and our part shall be to surrender him into the king's hand. And Saul said, May you be blessed by the Lord, for you had compassion on me. Go, make yet more sure. Know and see the place where his foot is, and who has seen him there, for it's told me that he is very cunning. See therefore, and take note of all the lurking places where he hides, and come back to me with sure information, then I will go with you, and if he is in the land, I will search him out among all the thousands of Judah. And they arose and went to Ziph ahead of Saul. Now David and his men were in the wilderness of Maon in the Arabah in the south of Jeshimon. And Saul and his men went to seek him. And David was told, so he went down to the rock and lived in the wilderness of Maon. And when Saul heard that, he pursued after David in the wilderness of Maon. Saul went on one side of the mountain, and David and his men on the other side of the mountain. And David was hurrying to get away from Saul. As Saul and his men were closing in on David and his men to capture them, a messenger came to Saul, saying, Hurry and come, for the Philistines have made a raid against the land. So Saul returned from pursuing after David and went against the Philistines. Therefore that place was called the Rock of Escape. And David went up from there and lived in the strongholds of En Gedi. Very interesting at the end how, I mean, it's just, it's just so fascinating here. You know, you get this, the, the rock of escape. Um, and of course, we're, we're familiar with all the language that is in the Psalms of referring to God as my rock. So, I mean, pretty interesting that God seems to be at work through the Philistines, right? In, in, in one case, right, God is sending David to rescue his people from the Philistines. And in this other instance, it seems like he's allowing the Philistines to attack to save David. I mean, it's a, it's a pretty interesting reversal right there, but I'm just overall, what, what a, I mean, it's an exciting chapter too, because you're just like, oh man, like they're going to get him now, but um, he just barely squeaks by.
Yeah, and I think that, um, you know, it is. It's a very interesting twist, you know, to go from going to fight the Philistines to now have the Philistines actually distract and and actually pull away uh, David's enemy, Saul, and, you know, away from him in, in battle. That is that is really, it just reminds you again, and, and we see this throughout all the Old Testament stories, how God uses even the enemies of his people to bring about blessing. And this is one of those times where you can see that, you know, full blast. Um, and that God is truly a God who's uh, almighty and in control, the one who gives strength uh, and power. When God says that he will deliver you from the hands of whoever, it's, it's going to be done. It's good as done uh, when, he, when he speaks that word. And so that's what I was saying at the very beginning, too, of, the, of, of our time together here today, right. is that, you know, David has something more than just his own will. He has the will of God on his side, um, and and God is always gives strength and hope uh, to those who call upon him in time of need uh, in, in miraculous ways, even when it looks like the enemy is going to win or the enemy is, is defeating us. Uh, you know, praying to God for His strength and His will in certain situations. We we can all see things in that 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 happen in our lives uh, where this takes place. Um, but uh, again, is I think the important part of all of this is that knowing where to turn in time of trouble, and that's that that we see from David over and over again that he's constantly connecting with the Lord. Well, and, and I think that that's um, that that idea of the inquiring of the Lord. It's very prominent here, and and you see it, and I think this is pretty interesting too, because I think we, we 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 underestimate this, right? But the the whole idea of of siege siege warfare, right, and besieging a city, and that this is just a scary scary thing in the ancient world, but it happened all the time, and, and pretty much it's just a matter of you know you don't actually have to like spend your whole army, all your men on a fight. All you have to do. It's just cut off a city from their material resources, and after enough people die of starvation, uh, well, you, you've taken the place. Just And this is a very scary thing because, uh, I mean, for these different cities, where these places where David is hiding out, um, I mean, David's a, a curse. Um, I mean, if David's there and Saul's right, after him, right. you, you don't want to be the place where David decides to go next and, and Saul comes looking. So uh, there's there's a... I, I think that we don't we don't appreciate that. Like, there's a, you can see that there's a really big. Um, I mean, it's a big deal because it's big enough for David to say, "Hey, get the ephod," which which we know that that means it's got the um, urim and thummim, um, so that we can we can decide, "Hey, are they going to give me up, right, or are they going to be bold right. and and stick it out with me?" That is a really live question. For David, and it, it's uh, what's occasioning really the uh, the inquiring that that's going on here. Yeah, you know, there's a couple of other things here that are kind of interesting in the story itself. Is that you know David um, goes to attack the, the Philistines to save Keilah, and um, then when it comes to a time where David could actually use their help, you know, he's calling upon the Lord. Are they going to are they going to surrender us over? To Saul, the very people that we came to help, and yeah. that you find interesting. You know, the, those outside the people of God are not uh, trustworthy in 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 uh, um, 
and and it makes you wonder, you know, why why what why was it that Kiila was not willing to surrender, or you know, was not willing to to fight with them, and to to help them, you know, hold their ground. And of course, one of the one of the things that we hear is is, is that it's like a fortress, you know, that they could surround and and it's like you said, cut them cut them off from their supplies and so right. forth. Until they finally surrender, and that's a, and that's another interesting thing that I that that I caught when reading through this, is that you know uh, a city with with uh, bars and, and walls and and, and gates, uh, you'd think that that's a stronghold. <laughs> yeah. Well, in this case, they show it as a weakness uh, to actually yeah. be fortified like that. That was that was interesting to read as well. Yeah, no, I mean that that, that is fascinating, right? That it can be. I mean, in some in some circumstances, it's an advantage, and in others, it's 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 anything but. I mean, I mean, yeah. I mean, what's the difference, right, between like a you know a fortress and a prison? Uh, I mean, right. it's just really just which side of the bars you want to be on, right? I mean, it's exactly. I mean that exactly. that's all it is. I mean, it's just it is very circumstantial. Um, well, yeah. I mean, lots of interesting things. Um, I think too. Another big thing is the way that Jonathan explicitly acknowledges. Uh, the kingship or the right to the to the throne uh, for David. Uh, well, I want to spend some time talking about that, but let's go ahead then and just kind of start from the top here and kind of take this a little bit, uh, bit by bit. Kind of think thinking about this first part together here before we uh, get to the break in a couple minutes here. So, I mean, David gets this news, um, you know, because people, you know, as we saw in the previous chapter. Well, I mean, you know, hey, mom and dad and all the. All of Bethlehem seems to have <laughs> shown up to uh, to like support David, you know, bring him care packets or something, you know. Um, so, so, so some people do know where he is, um, and so people are able to reach him with this message about Kiila. Um, we we know that he's got quite the reputation. I mean, we saw that with the Philistines in Gath. Um, so they're they're calling on him, which is kind of interesting all by itself. But yeah, then then he inquires of the Lord first uh, before the attack. And, and why do you suppose? I mean, I, I don't know. This this is just it's just interesting all by itself. Why do you suppose he decides? Well, I need to inquire first before we before we go out. Um, and, and then of course he has to inquire again, um, as you mentioned at the beginning, right? Because his men are like, "Hang on a second, you know, we have enough problems just with Saul." So, what what do you make of the, these inquiries? Well, you know, I, I think of, I think in terms of, I think David definitely was fully aware of the importance of him when it came to the nation of, of God, you know, of God's people. And so to just do something on his own without uh, knowing what God's will is in, in these things uh, is just not like David, especially at this time when he's, when he's running from Saul. And trying to figure out what what his next move should be. Why would you not want to turn to the one that can give you the direction, can give you the answers to what may lie ahead? And that's you know David has it, it always turns to the Lord. You you pretty much always see him turning, especially at a time like this, uh, when he knows that somebody is being um, abused and and uh, that you know fought yeah. against and, and so forth, that they, they are stealing from uh, Keila, and this is their enemy as well. Um, is this a time to be, be doing that? You know, is that, is that something that they should be involved with? Because this is not, this is not their people. And 
And I, I think that was part of why David felt that it was important because, you know, he's he's really following the will of God, even all the way up to this point. Why, why wouldn't he continue to do that? Well, I, I think so. I mean, he's not going to go and inquire of any other God, certainly. Um, I think that, you know, in this, well, I'm going to I'm going to save that. We have, it's time for our break already. But everybody, hold on. We're looking at First Samuel chapter 23 here on Thy Strong Word. We'll be right back. I keep my kids in church? Will there still be a church for them to go to? New people have moved into my neighborhood. How do I reach out to them? Our challenges are many, but it is Jesus who makes disciples for life through his church. Let's come together as the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod to discuss this joyful work. Learn more about the Making Disciples for Life initiative at lcms.org slash making disciples. Again, that's lcms.org slash making disciples. The idea that our creation is the result of a fluke, an accident, is ridiculous. A hundred thousand monkeys typing on a hundred thousand typewriters, even after a million years, would never produce the works of William Shakespeare. But they might produce several episodes of Wrestling with the Basics, Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. On air or on demand. A click away 24 hours a day at KFUO.org. The thing about God is He's winning even when it doesn't look like He's winning. Maybe especially when it doesn't look like He's winning. Dr. Michael Ziegler begins a series of messages based on the book of Daniel that tells how God uses history as a vehicle to bring about His eternal kingdom. That's this week on The Lutheran Hour. Sundays at 12.30 and 5 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO. strong word. I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. We're looking at 1 Samuel chapter 23. We're joined by our guest today, Pastor Curtis Dieterding, pastor at Zion Lutheran Church in Fort Myers, Florida. If you're listening live and you got a question or a comment for us, give us a call 1-800-730-2727, or if you're in St. Louis, 314-821-0850. You can also send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. Or hop on the live stream, facebook.com slash AJ Espinosa. Uh, one of the questions that just came in on there was about uh, about these ephids or the ephid question being, you know, how many of these things are there? Um, you know, <laughs> is there something special about this one in particular? I remember that when we read about the, the ephid back in Exodus, um, there was one in particular um, that had to do with the high priest with this— uh, uh, the umim and the and the the urim and the tumim. So, uh, yeah, that's that's a that's a fair question here. Um, I think we talked a little bit about the high priesthood stuff, uh, and I think that actually kind of gets back actually to the question that we were talking about right beforehand about so why exactly is he doing this um, inquiring of the Lord? 
get to that in just one second. I want to make sure to thank our underwriters at the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Thank you guys for supporting Thy Strong Word. Their website is lhfmissions.org, the Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Uh, okay, so turning back to this question here, I, I think that we wanna we wanna be aware that this term here, inquired of the Lord, is a little bit of a technical term. Um, like I, I mean, and I think that we kind of you know might just kind of think like you know oh so he he prayed or you know he just kind of you know prayed like God what's your will kind of like we might, but. Um, in, in the Hebrew, this, this kind of inquired of the Lord idea um, has more to do with a, an official question of let, let's, let's go find uh, the priest or the high priest, right? And let's get like this official word. And, and the same way that they inquired about, uh, hey, who, who has God, you know, picked as king, right? When they were going through the tribes and they narrowed it down to Saul. Or, um, you know, hey, which uh, which lot is going to fall to which tribe when they were casting the lots with Moses, right? So, uh, I, and I'm, so I'm thinking here, um, and especially given the context, that he's able to do this because Abiathar is there. Um, I, I mean, in, in light of what, what happens later, is that how you're reading this? Yeah, that's, that's exactly how I'm reading it. I mean, because I... Because, yeah, and, and yeah, I, had, I remembered that uh, in my study, too, that um, that they actually feel that that uh, they believe that uh, I, I've called him a biathar, but um, where he had uh, used prophets because the prophets are the ones that you go to uh, to inquire uh, when it comes to God about these matters. So yeah, it doesn't it doesn't it definitely doesn't say that he himself went there, and so and because of that, you know, you you probably uh, would assume that it it was probably the prophet that he turned to in that case. I, I'm sorry. the The, the prophet uh, Gad or um, um, a, a, B, yeah, or Gad a, or Abiathar. Uh, you know, oh, okay. Um, I, don't, I don't know if Abiathar might still be there or not. You know, as far as uh, with with. Uh, I'm oh, pretty okay, sure I have okay, that sure. right. Do I do I not have yeah. that right? I thought uh, right before this it says in verse 21 of chapter 22, and Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord, and David said to Abiathar, I knew that on that day. I didn't know if he was uh, still part of what was going on here or not. Oh, sure. Okay, no, that, Okay, I got you. You know, it's true, because I mean, it doesn't, doesn't explicitly say that, no, that, it it's, doesn't. that it's him, right? Uh, but uh, the, this, this inquiring thing, like I was saying, it's only something that you do with the priests. So it, it's sure, you know, I mean, like there, there can be a question on people's minds that a prophet addresses right but this uh this this inquiring idea this is something that is you, you go to the priest and and typically there'd be it's kind of like a ceremony with this and usually there'd be sacrifices uh, among other things as well so uh, i think that with verse 23 where he says you know come stay with me do not be afraid uh, i think i think the strong implication of the text is that uh the priest stays with him uh, partly right. because partly because he's got nowhere else to go because Saul has decided to just put the ban on his whole uh, family, the whole, the whole house of Eli. So uh, he, I think it's a pretty safe assumption that he is with David, um, and that's and that's how so, we should so you, read this. That go ahead. So you you uh, you believe that Gad is still there with them, and that he turns to Gad and not Abiathar uh, the priest. Then is what you're thinking. 
Is that what um, you're is that what you were saying? No, well, I think that both of them would be with David. I think we talked about this last time right. that yeah. um, that all indications are that Gad seems to be someone who is right. going to stick around um, and <laughs> hang out with David uh, for some time, even you know after he like you know is uh, ruling as king. Okay. So I think they're both with him. But yeah. what I'm saying is that. Uh, the Hebrew idiom of inquire of the Lord. This is a priestly idiom. Um, this is this is not something that you would say gotcha. yep. of yep. of a you know. It, it's like if you say like I went to confession or something like this, right? Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. If you say it like that, you would not mean yep. that I told my wife I was sorry, right? I mean, right. except except for maybe like in a humorous way <laughs> or something sure. like this, right? So so similarly, because it's this kind of idiom. Right, they're they're both there, but it would refer to Abiathar and not and not to uh, Gad, uh, who's who's a prophet, but doesn't say anywhere, at least I recall that he's also a priest. Um, which, which I then I think kind of sets this up a little a little bit more. Then so okay, so he's inquiring of this priest. So is he just inquiring of the priest just because like, well, hey, I got a priest here, so I as well get his take on it, right? Uh, <laughs> or, or is there something more to it? And and I do think there is something more to it because I was reminded a lot of uh, Jonathan back in chapters 13 and 14, right? Where he, mm -hmm. uh, it says, is looking for a sign from the Lord, right? He's looking, he's looking for a sign because, you know, uh, he's there with his father, uh, but he decides right. to sneak off, mm -hmm. and he wants to perhaps go, you know, attack some Philistines. Uh, but he does not have the permission of his father to do this. And so I, I think this is actually pretty key on this level, too. We've talked about faithfulness and devotion, right? Like, is it really yeah. David's place to go and fight the Philistines in this place, right? Uh, because he's not the king, right? I mean, and especially, you know, this is, a, this is an intriguing idea that was brought up on Facebook— um, you know, it says, uh, yeah, so Paul was just saying here that uh, Keilah is a border town between Saul, the Philistines, and David. Probably switched hands a number of times. Uh, so, you know, if it's uh, in this situation here and they are asking for help from Saul and he's he doesn't send any help, right? Who is he to, mm -hmm. like, override, right, the, the decision of the king? I, I think on a certain level, he's, he's not in any position. I mean, what, what do you think? No, that's that, that, that's right on. I mean, um, because he is not the one that, that would be in charge of those matters, and so he goes to the one. It's kind of like kind of like going over the over the boss's head you know, <laughs> to, to the guy at the very top, uh, and so um, yeah, so it makes sense. You know, you, you you see something of David's nature too. I think uh, in that um, you know he's not trying to create offense. Uh, but yeah. he's just trying to make sure that he's in line with where he needs to be in relationship to the king and to God yet, uh, even though the king is out pursuing him. Well, yeah, and I think it ties in perfectly with everything else that we see, um, I mean, just throughout these uh, these chapters. In the next chapter, we're going to see that he's, he spares Saul's life, and he explicitly yeah. says it's because he is the Lord's Messiah, and he's not going to do that. So, I mean, I, I do think there are some important ways here that David is showing respect, right, to the king who's trying right. to kill him, which I mean, really should yeah. show us a lot, I think, about the the posture of faith, which is consistent with like the disciples and, uh, of our Lord Jesus. That I mean, they also yeah. showed a, as much as possible submissiveness and respect, even to the authorities that were in many ways illegitimate and after them, which is I think really yeah. instructive 
for our own situation because we're like thinking to ourselves, oh, this is overreach, you know, this is illegitimate, and people are saying lots of things like that, and those may be true, right? But I think the right. Christian position right. is that we would still show submissiveness and respect. Right, exactly, and we see that in Paul's life too. We see it again and again. That's that's right. Yeah, no, again and again and again. Um, so okay, so we we've got this situation now. Uh, you know, so he inquires of of the Lord, and and the Lord is saying, "Well, go down to Kiila." And, and so since the Lord's saying it, it's like, well, okay, I, I would listen to what you know, uh, go go along with the precedent set by Saul, but right, Saul's boss is has spoken, so you know, it's like. Uh, you know, like uh, Supreme Court overrules the president or something like that. And you're like, all right, well, what, that's what we're doing then. Um, so so he goes um, and it says, you know, he rescues him, uh, rescues Keilah. It's it's kind of described in just very quick detail here because it's, it's like there's just no space for it. It's like, you know, I'm sure there's like whole, there was a whole song for like David's victory. Right. But we just have to <laughs> move on. Right. And uh, and so it says here uh, when um, Abiathar, the son of. Ahimelech fled to David with uh, two Keilah. So, so he also went down there. It says he had come down with an ephid. So, okay, this is the question that was on Facebook. So how are you reading all this? Um, an ephid, the ephid, how many of these things are there, right? Like, uh, what what's the status of this thing in verse 6? Well, I, I, you know, I was trying to re- re- recall... I believe the ephods were the, the the clothes of the priests that were. I thought I thought they were made out of the temple curtain, uh, if I remember right, or at least the material from from that. And uh, it just it just acknowledged that they were part of the priests, you know, that uh, were the priests that served the Lord. That's that's all I really know of the ephod. Well, I think that. Um... On a certain level, I think this is, this is this is helpful. On a certain level, it is just kind of part of the clothing, right? And it is a, a part, as you were saying, um, of the clothing that does identify the priests uh, with the worship in the tabernacle and uh, later the temple, right? So, so there's that there's that association and, and, there. And it's not and it's not just any clothing. I mean, it's clothing that um, no, right? Uh, it's representative it's, it's, of it's, the curtain in the temple where the presence right. of God is, and so that that's right. I think no. that this clothing would have a lot higher significance. That's right uh, for the people. That, that's right. No, it's, it's specifically a, a cultic garment in in the sense of right. you would only be be wearing this in the in the context of these official worship functions. Um, yes. So. So, so we we have that that you know there there were a number. I mean, it says in the last chapter, right? There were like eighty. I think that's the way they referred to like the priests. There were eighty-five who were wearing the ephod, right? Is that is that how they put it? Mm-hmm. I think on mm-hmm. the yep. previous chapter. Yep. So on the one hand, he is bringing down an ephod. It's his ephod, right? Um, mm. On the other hand, right, there does seem to be the ephod. <laughs> As in, like the one that the high priest is wearing, right? I mean, and that one's different. Um, I don't think because because we look we read in Exodus, right? Um, and then there's this 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 uh, breast piece that's got like these twelve gemstones, right? And all this with the names oh, yes. engraved. Mm-hmm. I don't think every single priest had those things. So there were some unique yeah. things about the high priest's ephod. So I think that there's kind of a little bit of a flexibility here where you can say, like, yeah, he had an ephod in his hand, right? On the other hand, uh, on the other hand, 
uh, he, he does seem to be, I mean, I mean, who would be in line to be the high priest? I mean, this is very awkward, actually, because I, I don't think there's been time to, like, install him as the new high priest, because I think Saul just killed the high priest uh, with Doeg. So, I mean, I think A.B. Aether stands to be next in line, but, I mean, this, this is a really kind of really awkward and tumultuous time. I think that A.B. Aether, by all rights, um, is the one who should have the ephid, like the high priestly one. But, I mean, this mm-hmm. is, I mean, it's just really, I mean, anyways, I think we can kind of relate to the situation where it's like, we haven't even had time to do things and have the ceremony and meet in person. It's all just chaos. Yeah, good point. That's a very good point, yeah. And that's, well, you know, that's why it's helpful to be able to follow, you know, chapters before, because if you get to this chapter and somebody's just coming in, uh, like like all of us pastors do, you know, mm-hmm. just, we come in on a chapter, and if we haven't done our homework at all, uh, we're going to be totally lost when you're coming through these stories. And uh, so some of the things that you're connecting back to is very helpful in trying to understand what we're looking at here. Yeah, no, I mean, all, all of this is uh, assuming uh, the stuff that we've read before, um, and right, like, there's a lot of times where it just doesn't go into a lot of detail, because, well, I right. mean, you know, the Hebrews that first heard this story would not have needed all this extra detail, right? Uh, so, exactly. so yeah, so, I mean, it is, it is I mean, that wasn't something, actually, I'd really kind of stopped and pondered a little bit, that there really is this awkwardness of, uh, and, we, and we saw this, actually, in the previous chapter about the awkwardness of Saul's kingship. That you know, just he—he he seems to be invalidating himself on a certain level. Um, yet he, yeah, he is really the king. Um, and, and so similarly here, it's like, well, the high priest died, so his son should be the. I mean, you know, so if Ahimelech died, uh, Abiathar is next in line. But you know, uh, did, did we have like the official transfer of power ceremony, right? With like we did with Aaron and Eliezer? Uh, no, couldn't do that. So, I mean, there, there's, mm-hmm. like, I think a lot of, like, just ambiguity in this chapter. Is it right to go mm-hmm. and save these people if I'm not the king? Is he really the king? Is he really the high priest, right? Um, it, it's a lot of—I mean, there's a lot of stuff that's just vague. But, I mean, I think it's comforting in that way that even in the midst of circumstances where it's just, you know, what, what's the right thing to do? What's what's real? What's official? You know, what what has the blessing of God that, that God's still working in the midst of uncertainties? Right, right. Yeah, so I, but it is kind of interesting, though, that, you know, if, and, and we, I think we, we probably do believe that, uh, you know, in the inquiry, the initial inquiry, we don't know if it was David or not, but, but here it, it's identified as David as he's inquiring on the Lord, you know, in, in verse 10. I don't know if we're, if you're that far along yet, but, you know, here we have uh, David actually turning to the Lord and, and making the inquiry about, uh, uh, Kyla there, and whether or not they would be surrendered over into the hand of Saul, and uh, and of course he's saying there's the, there's what I believe that's where you were talking about uh, back in verse nine. You know that he asks the priest bring the ephod here or the ephod here, and then it says and then and then said David, O Lord God of Israel, and he asks about um, whether or not they'd be. Uh, uh, surrendered into the hands of Saul. Well, no, uh, and so when he, you're, you're right. When, when he, uh, when he says, you know, bring it here, and it's just, you know, made absolutely clear that this, this inquiry 
you know, has this going on. And, and I think too, that, that maybe, um, that, that maybe some of this is just kind of like, I mean, it's just kind of more natural. Like now that we kind of have established already, you know, back in verse six that, you know, uh, oh, by the way, we, we know that, you know, he, he, uh, came down with an ephid. So we know that there's one there. Right. And so now that we know that there's one, <laughs> uh, he can say, you know, go get the thing, right. That you brought. So, um, it's just kind of, you know, just kind of natural way to be a little bit more expansive here. Uh, but so, so he, he's asking for this though, about, you know, will they come, uh, when Saul comes, right. Will these people give me up? And th this mm -hmm. is like what just immediately sent me to Psalm 31, uh, because this is, this is a Psalm that I think we are, are guilty of misreading <laughs> all the time. There's no superscription on, on Psalm 31 that is very specific. Uh, it's not like it says, you know, the time that he was in Keilah uh, or something like this. Right. But just, I mean, mm -hmm. some, some of the language, you know, it's just really something, um, I mean, he he says, you know, in the in the opening verse, you know, in you, O Lord, do I take refuge? And then verse two, be a rock of refuge for me. Um, and, and then in verse three, my rock and my fortress. So he's using like all this like rock fortress language that we're going to see, right? And that we have seen already um, in the rest of this chapter, right? Um, and, and then I think that the big thing that that we that we maybe over overlook. Um, it, it says in verse, uh, you know, 10, you have this picture of, uh, it says, uh, here, I'm just going to go ahead and on the live stream to just move us over to, to, to Psalm 31 really quick. Uh, but there's this language of wasting away, which is consistent with what we were saying about what happens when you're under siege, right? Mm -hmm. uh, what, when you're just, you're not, you're not eating. And in verse 11, because of all my adversaries, I have become a reproach, especially to my neighbors an object of dread to my acquaintances, those who see me in the street flee from me, right? So, and then, and then um, in verse 13, they, they scheme together against me. So, I mean, I, I think this picture is exactly the picture of what we're looking at here in First Samuel chapter 23, that he's on the run, but wherever he goes, people look at him as an object of dread. Um, he, is an, he is a reproach. No one wants him in their city, because they know that uh, Saul's going to come and put them, uh, you know, uh, to, to siege if they if they find out that that David's there. Right, because because they appear as being ones who's harboring him, and uh, he's like a hot potato. Nobody wants him. You know, they want yeah. to send him somewhere else. Don't don't have him here. And that is exactly uh, that's exactly how. Uh, those in the land were seeing David at that time, that's for sure. And that's why there was so much reporting back and forth to the king and to, uh, you know, where David is constantly. I mean, that that, that had to be the drama of the day, uh, wherever wherever uh, David ended up uh, and wherever people knew that he was at. Well, and, and so, you know, you, you think of this situation, and it just seems like, okay, well, this, this, is, this is bad, right? Like, who, who's going to take David? No, no one's going to want this guy. Everyone's going to, you know, what, once they find out, uh, once Saul's people find out that he's there, they're going to give him up, right? Who, who's going to actually stand by David? You know, like what city is going to say, you know what, we'll go, we'll go down with David um, instead of yeah, giving him up really. at some point, right? Like what, what's, who's exactly. going to do that? Uh, no, no one. Um, but so at the very end, right? So he's, uh, 
you know, to we're skipping down a little bit here, but uh, just because we're kind of on this point about the siege and the and the wandering here. So, um, so yeah, yeah. So it says there in verse in verse twenty four. Um, so they were in the wilderness of Maon in the Arabah, the south of you know. And this is one of these things like it's like Jeshimon or something like that. And our English mm-hmm. tradition, of course, doesn't sound like that at all in Hebrew. But we're just you know how all these names are um but so he's in this situation right and it seems like okay like you know uh, is he gonna who's gonna like stick by him just because it says the wilderness doesn't mean that he's like out like in the woods um it's it's pretty likely that he's in some kind of will like city or dwelling there in the wilderness um and in fact that's kind of what it says in verse 28 it says there um he lived in the strongholds of engedi for example so, I mean, this is, I think, the one that really lines up neat, neatly with Psalm uh, 31, that, okay, he's he's in this city. It's like, okay, yeah, these people are going to be like the people in Keilah. They're going to give me up too, right? So how, what am I supposed to do? And then, oh, hey, the Philistines are attacking the home the homeland. Saul's got to call it off, right? I mean, I, I, think that's, I think that's how David gets saved by God's hand in Psalm 31. Right. Yeah, I, and uh, you know, I like that. I like that connection that you're making there too. You know, with Psalm 31, that um, God is the rock of refuge for me, a strong fortress to save me. And uh, David definitely um, had seen uh, and knew that the, that the Lord was always going to be there to give him strength. As I mentioned earlier, you know that that's that was always uh, David's um, uh, first first move was always before he did anything was to uh, seek out what the Lord's will is. And of course, uh, for him, uh, you know, the Lord is a rock. The Lord is his refuge. And uh, even in the face of all of those enemies and all of those around him who had nothing to do with him. (laughs) So, you know, the only one that, that really he could turn to at that point is, is the Lord. Absolutely. And, um, well, you know, it's interesting, you know, this, uh, yeah, just you, you mentioning this again, just this rock fortress refuge language again and again, uh, you, you can see why David would have been very fond of it because he spent, it seems some time, right. Um, just like yeah. hiding out in these different places. And it, it just seems that, you know, I mean, it's just, it's just a fascinating way of, of thinking about it that, you know, it's like, like like you were saying uh earlier uh the these fortresses or these rocks right because fortresses at this time were very often built into rocks right it was much easier when you didn't have to build all four walls yourself and you could just kind of you know put put the the bars and gates on the front of a, a natural uh phenomenon right something part of the the topography uh but like you were saying it's like the difference between this being a, a prison and a fortress i mean it's pretty close. So at, at the end of the day, it's like not really the bars that are the things that are the fortress that keeps him safe, but it's God because, you know, God's actually the one who's moving around all the circumstances uh, to make it. And and so what, that he names the place rock of escape. I mean, it's like these other places in scriptures where, um, you know, a rock gets named where, I mean, really it's referring to God um, as the rock of escape. Yeah, and I, I think we also need to remember that all of what's happening to David here, uh, again, is going to add to his uh, his character, his 
um, his relationship of faithfulness with his Lord and trust. Um, and all of this is preparing him, too, to one day uh, become king. And uh, to have gone through these experiences himself uh, will make him more wise as far as other situations that he would encounter as a king later on. So um, sometimes that's not always easy to see, and uh, it would be interesting to just see what took place uh, in these in these chapters where Saul is pursuing him, where there's this uh, this complete rift, and then later on, uh, uh, King David, uh, I mean, David becomes king, and uh, all of these experiences are going to um, be a part of what happens going forward too, as far as his decision making, his uh, the way in which he handles things. I think so. That this is this is God um, in His providence, really getting His King ready. Like we said last time, He is He is sympath He is becoming so sympathetic, right, with the people who are rejected and turned away, and no one wants them, right? I mean, this is a, uh, I mean, this is, this kind of feels in that way. Uh, well, you know, there's that there's that Christmas tradition. How historically accurate it is, another question. But you know, of the uh, going around from from door to door. Um, and, and being turned away, like like what you know, as as we have in our Christmas plays with the Holy Family, right? But but just mm-hmm. in, in any case, just the idea of God using those circumstances to to prepare the King so that He has a heart for the rejected and the oppressed, because He was like that Himself. And so, yeah. uh, just a picture of how the Messiah of God, whether it's David, you know, foreshadowing it here or Christ later, um, I mean, He He becomes one of us and saves yeah. us as such. Yes, very good. Yes. Well, brother, thank you for uh, joining the conversation and just bouncing around some ideas here and taking us through this chapter. Looking forward to have you on again soon. Like I said, I blessings on reopening worship in person. Thank you so much. It's always a joy. Thank you, and God bless you as well. Thank you, brother. Everybody, Curtis Deerding, Zion, Fort Myers, Florida. Moving on to Chapter 24. Till then, I'm Pastor A.J. Espinosa. Peace. The broadcast ministry of the LCMS. Your support is vital for this program to continue. You can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Thy Strong Word.